My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the next episode of the Let Nothing Move You podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ashley, and I am sick and miserable right now. I uh, have been dealing with this off and on kind of fever these past couple of days, and I've been waiting for it to pass so I could record and have an actual voice that sounded a little better than normal. But yeah, it's just not happening. So in order to get this episode done and out, I'm stuck with this voice. So I apologize for that. If that offends anyone, (laughs) it definitely offends me a lot. And now on to our our personal woes with recording and uh, everything that comes with that. I think I've finally, <laughs> I, I hope finally, figured out exactly the position I need to be in to where my voice is caught by this new microphone well and all that other junk doesn't get caught too. So let's hope for the best there. And also as well, if there is a constant background noise of the air conditioning unit being on, well, that's because Joshua told me that I can have it on in the background. He can just take it out. But if he fails in that regard, well, then I blame him. <laughs> but I really hope this works because it's a lot better to be working in the air conditioning and not turning it off just to record because these rooms get very hot. And I am not a fan of that. So, <clears throat> oh, gosh, man, my voice is already hurting. <laughs> My throat is already hurting, but we'll get through this. Thank you for your patience. We're going to be going in uh, the book of Romans in chapter three today, uh, starting uh, with verse one all the way through verse eight. Then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true through, excuse me, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to to show the unrighteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounded, uh, abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? Their condemnation is just. <clears throat> so, a lot of things here. But first off, let's go with the beginning of these verses, like, uh, we, we've uh, spoken before on the uniqueness of God's relationship with the Jewish people and how he set them apart from the entire world. And yet, at the same time, this didn't guarantee them salvation. And unfortunately, in the world, there are many people out there who will ignore verses like this and then speak of the Jewish people as inferior because in the eyes of these naysayers, the Jews denied God, and then they look at other verses that say that the Gentiles becoming Christians are, is proof that God abandoned the Jews and despises them. And I mean, really, there's no other way to put this. It's it's foolishness. 
And it's created simply for the idea of justifying hatred towards the Jews and Israel as a nation. And I call it foolishness because the idea that God would fully abandon his people, it, it has, there's no bit of foreshadowing within scripture that that's going to be a thing. And it would be entirely out of character for him to do so. If anything, the exact opposite is true. Because number one, it is true. But in two, we see it over and over again. God saying, you faithless people, I'm still going to save you. I'm still going to come back to you. I mean, just read through the book of Judges alone. And if, if that didn't disqualify Israel from God's protection, like what else would? And these people would say, oh, it's because <clears throat> the, the Jews killed Jesus on the cross. And we've discussed that before. It's like, no, the Jews weren't ultimately the ones who killed Jesus. The entire world was because of our sin. The Jews were to blame. The Romans were to blame. I'm to blame. Every single one of us is to blame. And yet people will twist verses and then try to show a, a false sense of the world to justify their hatred. And it has, that has no place in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, look, when it is, like, it is true that many Jews in Judea in the age of Jesus and then the spread of Christianity fought against the truth and denied it. Like, no one's saying that. That isn't true. But to stay on that idea alone ignores the fact that the New Testament was primarily written by Jews who became Christians and that Jesus himself was Jewish. You know, he did have a mom. He got the genetics from her. I don't pretend to understand how it all works. But by race and nationality, he is a Jew. To ever think that God would desire us to hate his people simply because some denied him is foolishness. And once again, it has no place in Jesus Christ's church. So what then do we, do we have to say on the issue of the perks of the Jewish people at the time of Paul's writing? And Paul speaks very rightly here in that they alone shepherded the truth of his word and the prophecies he delivered to none but them for generations for over a thousand years, they had the truth alone out of all nations. That is something to be commended. That is something to be praised. And through their lineage, like Jesus was born to redeem the whole world. But this also doesn't excuse the fact that the Jewish leaders denied their people the truth after some time. And this needs to be condemned as false teachers cause many to fall astray as these people, they had no other means to learn the truth since the knowledge was hoarded. That's something that was an accusation thrown around at uh, parts of the Catholic Church and certain parts of history is that, well, the common people don't have the Bible. They don't know what's going on there. And you're the only ones who can tell us what it is. So, of course, we have to trust what you're saying. And that for the most part, the Catholic Church was doing a really good job of explaining Scripture. But they're also only meeting so many times a day, you know, uh, any of you out there who've done their, uh, the reading the Bible through a whole year kind of programs, you know, it's kind of difficult to do that in a sermon. Like there's so much of the Bible that just doesn't get taught about simply because of lack of time. And this is not a, a Catholic church bashing session. I don't ever hear that from my lips. But that, that was an accusation thrown around that some people did to take advantage of. But guess what? The, even with the Bible being present right now, there are plenty of Protestants who do the exact same thing. There are plenty of Orthodox Christians, Coptic Christians, so on and so forth, that do the exact same thing. The point being is that the Jewish people at that time had bad teachers 
who withheld the truth from them to fill their own narratives. Now, later on, uh, well, excuse me, before we get to that, like, despite this lack of faith by his people proclaiming to be his teachers, God remained faithful to the Jews because he still loves them, even though he must, by nature of who he is, judge them for their sins for all who the, all those who remain in apostasy. In Romans 9, uh, Paul will bring this back up and speak of all the other good things that come that came from the Jewish people's special relationship with God throughout the long history. So we'll focus more on that when we get there. But it is brought up here, so I don't want to like skip over it, even though I probably should right now with how I'm feeling. <laughs> Dang it, Christian, we're making each other laugh. Over a dumb joke. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, there's also a false belief here in these verses. In you know, some Christians, that sinning then creates more grace for God to forgive. And that, in, in and of itself, makes sin somehow good. Like Paul states that he has some uh, people out there who are uh, slanderously saying that that's what he's saying when it comes to grace. And he, he even says, like, if that was true, their condemnation would be just. But it's not. Like, Paul is challenging this idea here. He doesn't go into detail yet. He will later on in Romans. And he brings up the ludicrous notion of thinking this way. And it's going to be in a way that shows just how stupid that idea is. And once again, when, when we get there, we'll further discuss that issue. But just know, like, the Cliff Notes version, Spark Notes version, like, no, that's not how things work. All right. Moving on to verses 9 through 20. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin. It is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an empty grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul continues one of his ultimate points here, in that no human being is righteous and better than any other. Any attempt to say otherwise is folly, and more than likely comes from a desire to make oneself seem more important than they actually are. It is made abundantly clear throughout Scripture that every single one of us falls under the judgment that comes from being sinners. Yet God intervened and allowed Jesus to die on our behalf. Take heart in that and find your true identity in the new man or woman that he has created once you become his. That is a good and godly thing to do. And further to further his point, sorry, I'm going to slow up. <laughs> A little slower than normal right now. No one was ever born righteous outside of Jesus Christ. In verses 10 through 12, they're taken from Psalm 14 and 53, where David is speaking against all humans who despise God with their heart and actions, and then they act like fools trying to justify themselves before a holy and perfect God. 
I can't remember if I've spoken about this on the show, but there, there's a Hebrew word there uh, in Psalm 14. I, I forgot to look it up. It was in 50, <clears throat> 53 as well. But the word is Nabal or Nabal or Nabal, how the heck you want to pronounce it. I'm done with Hebrew, so I don't have to care. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful language. You should all check it out. It is worth your time to look it up. But uh, Nabal is a word that means foolish or stupid. So we could throw that accusation at some of the people earlier for their bad takes on scripture. Or it also means one who is morally deficient. So who does that sound like? Well, it sounds to me like every single person who has ever existed, there's not a righteous person among them. That's one of the reasons David uses that word specifically in his uh, psalm is to point out the fact that even he is a fool. He is morally deficient when it comes to a holy and pure God. And it is for things like this, that this is precisely why God why, excuse me, Jesus had to die for us because there was no way we could ever be righteous in God's eyes based on our own deficient merits, which could never measure up to his holiness. Our words and actions have proven time and again that we are not good by nature and something must be done by a higher power to move and save us from ourselves. If we do not fear God in a healthy way, then we lose sight of the fact that he is the only reason any of us have a chance to live in the light and to see peace that we cannot create ourselves without his assistance. Ultimately, sin comes about as a result of the failure of humans to fear and respect the God of the universe who made them, loves them, and created the world so that we might inhabit it and have a chance to know him. And Paul, he also finishes this segment of the chapter by bringing up the fact that no one can be justified before God, not even by their own judgments of themselves and how they view the world, because they are always self-defeating. We, we see this from before. Even by their own standards, they can't keep it. Even by the standards of the law, the Jewish people couldn't keep it. No one is able to be perfect before God. For the Jews specifically, he, he brings up how none of them would be righteous and justified, like I said, because there's not a single one of them who kept the entire law perfectly as they learned through the law precisely what sin was and how they were guilty of committing them their entire lives. And that's a consequence of the fall, the consequence of eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evils, that when we have a realization about what sin actually is, well, then we've disqualified ourselves. And there could even be a thought experiment out there of how someone could go through their entire lives and not know, no one's ever told them what sin is, and whether that would qualify them, I don't know. That's just my, uh, let's see, ramblings on uh, my anti-fever, cold medicine, all this jazz. So you can take that as you can. And we'll move on to the end of this chapter, uh, rushing through this to alleviate my poor head, uh, 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, 
he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? He is, not, is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We see in these verses, Paul distinctly putting forth that Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law, providing us all to never have to look back upon the non-moral laws as something we need to follow today. He has created a very different covenant with us that gives those who seek him earnestly and honestly a new life that only he can give in this world and beyond. The law and the prophets had earlier predicted that this would happen because God always foreshadows his true plans across scripture, giving his knowledge of the future and the plans he has for us all. That's one of the good things about looking at scripture. It wasn't written at the same time. It's not me writing a book and going, okay, I know because of the actions in this uh, chapter here, in three books from now, that's why another character is going to make a choice. And that's something I literally do all the time because I'm crafting that world at that moment in time. But God is someone who is outside of time, already knows what's going to happen, already knows the plan. So he can write in the past, showing us his knowledge of the future and how that ultimately benefits us. And that's one of the great things about his awesome and mighty power is his ability to display that to us in the past through prophecy. And here also we see one of the most quoted verses in scripture in Romans 3.23. I'll say it again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word for all in the Greek is, is pontes. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right because I am currently in Greek. It'd be bad if I didn't. And this comes from the root word pas, which means all or every. Uh, Paul writes using this specific word to solidify his earlier points that every single human being has fallen short of God and cannot justify themselves toward him. Now, when that word is used, guess what it means? It applies to us all. There'll be other verses in Romans where it would seem like all is used, but the, the actual Greek is used in, oh, goodness gracious, what is this? I forgot to write this down. Uh, there's another word used that means the many versus all. And there's a very big difference between the word many and all. And we'll get there when we get there, if I remember to do this, if I'm being actually good at my job. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we all know that probably doesn't always happen as much as I want it to. And so we see this first year, like there, there's no way around it. It's kind of like I'm the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the father except through me. Like, well, it's either right or it's wrong. And Paul is either right or he's wrong. And here, those are absolutes. Jesus is the only way to the father. Every single one of us has fallen short of God because of our sin. There's no way around that. And people will try and twist and churn and make it their own way, say, oh, he didn't really mean that, and ultimately becoming more like the serpent sometimes when they do that. And that's not good. That's for anyone to do that. We need to take the text for what it means 
as it applies to all of us, and this does apply to all of us because every single one of us have sin. And we also see here that Paul rightly states the only way to overcome this separation is through faith in God, meaning that this is a requirement for salvation. No other means allow for human beings to become a part of God's family. Only someone recognizing their sin and brokenness and then going to him in faith to allow Jesus' propitiation on the cross to cover our sins can save us from what we all rightfully deserve. Many will hear the word of God and like some of what it has to say, but not reach the truth. Others will deny it outright and claim it a lie or make their own false beliefs of how they can be saved on their own merits and declare the narrow road not worth their time because it means sacrificing their own personal views and pride. If you're in any of these areas right now or somewhere else I didn't consider, like, please, like, for your own sake and those around you, stop. The point of view, this point of view of anything other than what was stated here is something that can only bring harm. Don't add onto something that doesn't need help. The work has already been done to give you and I the opportunity to be with him forever. Please accept it and realize what true life looks like in him. We also see here that God has shown himself to be just and that there will still be punishment for sins. But at that same time, he has shown his love and mercy for us in justice by offering a way out of what we rightfully deserve thus fully displaying his righteousness to us. And that's something we need to celebrate in the, in the fact that we can then go out to let others know of what has been done for us all. We just need to say yes. But that's the thing. We have to be humble enough to say yes. And not everyone can reach that part. And that veil is just over their eyes and they're refusing to see. And to other points, they'll say, well, they were never going to see. And like, sure, whatever. But like, ultimately, they're going to say no because they don't want to see or they're not able to understand their need. And that's one that breaks my heart because I want them to see. I want them to know of the fullness of God and what he has done for me and done for everyone who's ever turned to him and repented of their sins and said, yes, Lord, I want to be yours. Make me this new man. Make me this new woman. So I never have to be like who I was before I encountered you. And now I'm part of your family. Also in here, Paul continues his diatribe on grace and how we have nothing to boast in by also taking down the idea that doing good works guarantees faith. Good works are an essential part of showing the fruit of a true Christian's love for God and their fellow humans, but they cannot save us from our sins. And the best we have to offer God is not good enough. As Isaiah himself righteously says, in Isaiah 64, uh, verse 6, this is in the modern English version. But we all are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is as filthy rags, and we all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Do not hear this as an excuse not to do good works because you are already saved. This is also folly and is a detrimental to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just because, oh, well, we're all unclean, uh, we've all, our righteousness is just filthy rags before him, that uh, it doesn't matter what I do. No, it matters immensely what we do, because is it really true if we accept Christ and we act like hell? I mean, well, someone looking at that, well, I mean, what really changed about them? Now they're about Jesus, but they're doing the exact same things they were doing earlier. 
that makes no sense. It breaks people's minds. It's one reason why a lot of people don't accept the gospel is because they see Christians acting like hell. And that's not good. They deserve better from us. God deserves better from us. Because of the good work done on our behalf by Jesus Christ, we betray him when we act like we don't need to continue that work for the benefit of ourselves and those around us. Look, good works don't save a soul, but they do give a good indicator of what God has done to someone's heart. And it's something we eventually forever now get to the book of James, my favorite book in the whole Bible. We hear about what good works need to be done. Like, show me your faith through your good works. That is something they cannot be separated. I cannot just have faith in God and then never do a good thing in my life. It is awful. It is detrimental. It is like really nothing's happened at all. And I'm beginning to wonder whether or not you actually said yes or if anything happened, because there should be something in your heart that stirs you to wanting to be like him, to be righteous, to love others, to look after people, to look after the people of God too. So if you're feeling like that right now and you're not sure, do an honest self-assessment. Say, where is my heart? Am I in a moment of, well, I'm just, I, oh, I just realized I'm living in my own sin and I'm continuing to do this. I'm still his, but I fell away for a little bit just to do my own thing and I need to get back on a path. Sure. Go for it. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, that's something I do all the time. I, I mean, I'm the worst of the worst. And yet God still has me. But there are plenty of people out there who just think that they have faith and keep living their lives. And there's no change. There's no good works. Or if there are works, they're done out of obligation or they're done out of, oh, well, this will make me look good. And that's not good either. Last point, and then we'll end. Uh, Paul will continue in other chapters in Romans uh, about what he means about following the law like he finishes off here. And he will continue to refer back to earlier conversations he has in Romans about the eternal moral law of God versus the priestly and civil laws that were also included in the law of the Israelites. And we'll get more in depth there. We've covered it it a little before in Luke, um, but for those new listeners who just uh, hopped in on now, that's that's what we'll, we'll be there eventually. And if you want to go back, please do. All right. My voice is saying thank you because we are done with chapter three of Romans. Um, thank you for putting up with all this. I, I really hope the audio comes out well with this uh, as best it can in this situation. I am ready to shut up and move on with my life and just rest. Um, but once again, I'm very appreciative of everyone listening. And just you guys are one of the reasons why I do this. So I'm very grateful for any interactions you have uh, based on this material. I've had a lot of very good positive responses from people about what I've been doing in Romans. So I'm going to keep going as best I can. Hopefully next week I'll be feeling better. So I'm going to shut up about that and just go to the outro. So uh, with that in mind, please, if you feel led, leave a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice because it really helped out. I noticed on Apple, we got into another new five-star review. So I'm very grateful for whoever did that. I mean, if you want to keep doing it and just do it anonymously, keep doing that. If you want to actually put a, a written review, like doesn't have to be about the program, like it could be anything. You just want to tell me what you had for lunch that day. You want to tell me about something interesting <laughs> in your life? Go for it. I don't care. That Whatever works, man. If you're interested in my fiction writing, you can find my works at uh, StarvingWritersGuild.com or on Amazon by searching for the name MC Ashley. If you're all interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, then please check out the other members of the Anazal Ministries Podcasting Network. You can contact me 
at letnothingmoviepodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Joshua Knoll for the editing that he does and for the music that he adds to the podcast and for putting up with all my bull. <laughs> oh, gosh, got to stop. Uh, and with all that in mind, God bless you all in accordance to his will and not mine. And allow me one more time to remind you, let nothing move you. <laughs>